Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? Not sick this week, so that that's a that's, that's very a, exciting. That's a huge improvement. Um, how are you? Yeah. How are those um thirty second notes treating you this week, <laughs> listeners? I'm playing a John an all John Williams gig this weekend, so I'm also I'm on location again. Um, and I've watched very little TV this week. Um, my my arm is so angry, Noel. Like, I, I went and got a massage halfway through the week. Normally, I wouldn't get a massage right before a gig because, obviously, it beats up your muscles, right? Like, and then right. you can't use right, them. Right, right, right. But, like, my shoulder and my arm were so angry after doing Mahler and Bernstein last week and having to do all these crazy John Williams. So, listeners... You know, Harry Potter, the Harry Potter thing, which everybody loves. It's so pretty and, and, and mystical and all of that. And you've got this floaty da-da-da-da. Underneath that, one, two, three, one, two, three. For each of that one, two, three, I need to play eight notes. <laughs> so, da da And, yeah, they're like, just, you know, fake it. It's like, no, I don't want to fake it. It's lovely, beautiful music. And there's no reason I should have to fake it. It just takes a lot of practice and i'm stubborn and you know there's like just like you know play really quiet and blend in it's an effect not really notes i'm like it is yes it is an effect but it is also notes and it is stupid to just be like Meh, it doesn't matter what notes you yes it does i for one when i listen to the harry potter soundtrack or the theme or whatever if i listen to harry potter I can hear the chords and the arpeggios and everything. Like, so if when you when I play it wrong, if I'm practicing it, like it's I can hear it. I can tell, and if I can tell, then some of the people in the audience can tell too. So it's anyways. That's a long way of saying I've been doing a lot of practicing, everyone, this week. So I, that's so I haven't watched much TV. So we're gonna keep it short this week. Um, and also my hand hurts. That's a long answer to a short question, Noel. Well, that's okay. You've you've had a busy week, and I, I'm I, I am worried about your arm at this point. But also, I'm pretty sure that your arm is just super swole at this point, and <laughs> yeah, it's like that. Hulk size, and could probably just take out a couple of folks like in the process after you're leaving the gig. Yeah, you, yeah. You well, know what like, you should right do? Now it's just throbbing, you should totally yeah. roadhouse some folks after the concert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no yep. it's not it's roadhouse like... what is that what is that arm wrestling movie what is that? oh yeah oh, is over the top or yes like it's over what? the top i think it is over the top yeah. that's what you need to do yeah i think that's okay what needs to noted happen. yeah <laughs> i'm looking forward to practicing like slow lyrical stuff next week and just like finding Doing some, I don't know, some Bach or something, just like just slow scales all next week and giving my poor tendons a break. Um, that is, again, this week, that is to this week, listeners, we have our segment at the end of the show. We're talking about Mosaic, um, which was a six episode miniseries or season uh, murder mystery uh, on HBO that aired last week. We're kind of talking about it this week. Um, Noel has seen a lot more TV than I have, but we're, we're he's generously keeping it short. Next week, we'll have catch ups on like. Supergirl and uh, Star Trek Discovery and X-Files and a bunch of stuff. Uh, this week, it's pretty much it's just comedy and reality because that's when I was like, I need to finish work and I need to, to reply to some emails, but I can watch stuff while I do that. That's what I, I didn't choose to watch, you know, 
super intense stuff while I folded my laundry this week. So that, that, that's what we're able to talk about. So that's what we will be talking about today on the show. Yeah, and that's perfectly okay. I mean, life gets in the way sometimes. And, yeah. and in fact, it finds a way sometimes to keep the John Williams sort of connections going. <laughs> yeah, and like seriously, that one, that score, that score is so much kinder to my left hand. <laughs> Jurassic Park is a much kinder, you know, we get the melody and everything. It's not all these crazy incidents. Superman, very different. Anything where somebody's flying, you know John Williams is putting lots of really, really fast notes in there. Also, Olympics. Lots of really fast notes in the Olympics music. But I forgot he is... does some Olympic scores. Yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the horns are playing the, like, not that fast melody that everybody knows. We're playing mm-hmm. eight notes for each of one of their notes. So, good times. Oh, the the joy of John Williams. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself uh, in monologuing here about orchestral uh, violin violinistness, you know, musicianship. So, uh, we should take a break. We should listen to some TV music and not John Williams. Um, and we'll be right back with our Week in TV. Sure, there was that one scene where he pooped his pants in front of you. And by scene, I mean he made a scene. Well, I for one ain't sold. He's the new guy, not easily reformed by some quirky girl that he met at work. Just because now that he became a season regular. And by season regular, I mean he eats bran in the spring. Doesn't mean the show is now called Rich and Pompous Lawyer. And by show, I mean his favorite show, which, by the way, is Wings. What? Screw the new guy. Well, I did that, and that's how I know that he hasn't changed a bit. He's an evil sociopath who's tricked you into liking him. Why else do you think that I'm singing this reprise? And by singing this reprise, I mean whatever. Just don't think about it. Let's sue the new guy. Hubbub, 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 hubbub. Hey, what's a reprise? Daryl, shut up. That was the reprise of Who's the New Guy from this past episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. We're going to talk about that one here in our Week in TV, but we're going to kick things off with a little reality. So Top Chef Colorado, we need to talk about Restaurant Wars, and we'll talk about Bronco Brouhaha and some other stuff around Top Chef. Then we'll talk Drag Race All-Stars, Divas Lip Sync Live. Uh, We'll move over to the mid-season premiere of Jane the Virgin. Noel, so excited to talk about Jane the Virgin this week. Yay! We're very excited. Okay. Then we'll talk Detour, The Stop, Fresh Off the Boat, A Man to Share the Night With, and We Need to Talk About Evan, uh, Move Over to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Oh, Nathaniel, It's On, and uh, finish up with, of course, The Good Place finale, Somewhere Else. Very excited to talk about that. But first up is Top Chef Colorado. So let's kick things off with Restaurant Wars. Last week when we recorded, I hadn't seen Restaurant Wars yet. Uh, I have seen it now, and I've seen this week's episode. Do you want to start with the whole Claudette debacle? Um, and like, you know, the villain at it versus, you know, are you pro and clunk Claudette? Or do you want to start with like this tailgating thing? Or do you want to start with the whole John Besh thing? Yeah, let's just start with sort of the John Besh thing. Um, since I feel like that's sort of the quicker uh, thing than getting into everything else. Um, it was really weird when he popped up and then he just completely disappeared. And then I went, oh, right, because he's... A creep. That's right. Okay. But it was just, <laughs> there was like no way for them not to like start it first and then be like, here's John Bash, everyone. And then be like, oh, okay, bye. <laughs> was he actually, 
was he actually in the beginning of the episode? I was don't he? even remember no, that. No, he wasn't. He wasn't actually. I'm, no, he wasn't. In was the it in the, the maybe it was in the ads and stuff for the season? Yeah, but yeah. So, so listeners, if you missed this in you know in one of the waves of the Me Too allegations and and just people coming out out and forward with their stories uh, of harassment and and abuse, John Besh has was. Uh, accused of lots of really terrible stuff so he they had already filmed his guest spot for this season he was he was there for the olympics episode that we watched a couple weeks ago and then they just edited him out of the entire episode so he was there for the judging he was there for the tasting and they just like reframed everything and just I don't know. It was impressive because I did not miss him. I didn't even notice. Granted, I wasn't watching, you know, I don't usually look for angles and stuff when I'm watching Top Chef. So I wasn't watching it as carefully. But I didn't even notice that someone was like that it was cut differently or that it looked a little weird than you would normally expect. So kudos to Top Chef for being like, nope, we missed the Logan Paul thing like by a week, but we didn't miss the best thing. So we'll just fix it. Um, And also Tom Colicchio wrote a terrific open letter responding to uh, the allegations against Besh and to the decision to cut him out of the episode and to his experiences working with and supporting and promoting women in his kitchens um, and especially in leadership positions. So, uh, I mean, who knows if that's genuine? Maybe it's just a PR move, but I thought it was a really good letter. Have you sought that out? No, I don't know if you... I didn't even know that that was a thing until I started Googling all of this. Yeah, I didn't know about the letter at all. Um, so I'll have to look for that. Uh, as for, like, the episode itself, I noticed that the uh, cutting was, like, really weird for a lot of it in the framing. But I also thought it just had to do with the set that they had constructed um, until I realized yeah. that... Because the set that they did for the um, for the Olympic stuff was just really wonky anyway. Uh, and so I thought it was just they were doing stuff there. But in, then I realized that they were like editing out Bash, framing him out. And I just went, oh, that's what was happening here. And yeah, your point regarding the YouTube guy is just like really spot on. It's just like, oh, well, we're not going to we're not going to get trapped this time. <laughs> and so quick <laughs> editing job on over at um, Bravo and uh, their um, studio that puts out uh, Top Chef and getting that out of the way. How did you feel about that decision? Do you think that was a good call? Do you think that was a pro- an appropriate response? Yeah, I think it was an appropriate response. I'm I don't see why that they wouldn't have done that. And if they had done that, I think that would have really reflected poorly on the show overall. So I think it was I think it was a smart idea. Yeah, well, especially because the show has had you know not always a great track record with. Uh, sensitivity to gender issues and with supporting women in the 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 workspaces and in the kitchen and such so like you know there there certainly have been people who feel like members a percentage of the viewership who feels like there's a bias in the judging to yeah. a certain type of alpha male chef so yeah i think that you know that was even just like the the responses to some of the the editing around bros making uh sex jokes towards Padma at the beginning of the season. I think yeah. it was a Yeah, I a saw smart that. Call. Yeah. Um well how how about Restaurant Wars? What did you think? Did you think it was straight up villain edit for Claudette? Did you think she was over her head and like the responses were appropriate? What what did you think? 
I was really frustrated with a lot of like the restaurant wars in terms of one, it was it, it felt very lopsided immediately, um, mainly because uh, Claudette's team and Chris's team um, were were clearly thinking that they had done something really well, and it was very it was very clear that they just didn't have anything that was happening, um, even before like dishes were being served. And then when dishes were served, it was like, oh no, this is this isn't good, everyone. Um, but as for Claudette, I I think that there's an element of like the villain edit happening here, but I also think that like she is like shown as being pretty comfortable being the executive chef and then very quickly going well i don't really want to feel this role and so it was it was sort of a weird sort of situation and them like pointing to the um other, the conifer team kind of whispering to each other as soon as like everything turns onto claudette and going like well we've been here before <laughs> uh doesn't help claudette's sort of representation um how did you feel about it well, I think she definitely got the villain at it, but I think she earned it yeah. <laughs> with what she was doing. You know, like, like early in the episode, you could tell, like, I, like, I think I actually said, oh, villain at it, like out loud <laughs> while I was watching it just a few minutes in. But and they prepped it, of course, in the previous episode with that thing with her and Tanya and the cutting to the reaction shots of the other chef testants, you know, talking about them noticing a pattern with Claudette. And here's the thing. I think it's possible for her to be a badass chef and to be really good at what she does and to have been under-respected and not considered a big enough threat earlier in the season. And also to be trying to weasel out of responsibility every time there's a group challenge and do just not working well in groups. So I think she's a bad chef. She just doesn't work well in groups. Like Tanya didn't always, it didn't seem like she always did well un, under the time pressure things, you know, like the, she didn't respond as well to that format. Yeah. But I have no doubts that she's a really good chef. Claudette responds much better to the last chance kitchen format and to the quick fire format than she does to the team format. And you know, whether it's she needs to speak up more and trust her instincts and make herself heard, or if it's just she is not communicating and then tries to externalize and blame other people and not take ownership of her mistakes, you know, if there's an immaturity there, who you know, who who knows? But that doesn't negate how how much she rocked it in Last Chance Kitchen coming back and, and how well she has done in some of the previous challenges. Yeah, that's really true. And Chris also, like, aggressively tries to take the blame as much as possible since he was just yeah. like, I got to choose the teams, but I also didn't want to do this because I've seen Top Chef before and I know only one of two people go home in Restaurant Wars. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like, he chose the team. Yeah. But... He didn't. He said, "Why don't you be executive chef?" And the reason I think that he chose Claudette is because she has that like bulldog personality when she yeah. wants to, and so that makes her someone who theoretically could be a good leader. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't really interested in taking on all of that responsibility and didn't. She didn't verbalize that. So just she just like assumed everyone else knew that she was not actually doing that executive chef job yeah and here's the other thing like she was very bitter about this and felt she didn't deserve to go home and even if you weren't blaming her for the the 
expediter slash executive chef discrepancy. If she had if she had cooked good food, she would have stayed. Yeah. But her food wasn't good. So at the end of the day, even if you think someone else's food was worse, it doesn't matter. If you had co- if she had cooked good food, she would have stayed. And she didn't, so she went went to last chance, chance kitchen and then just barely got knocked out. So like I I'm fully uh, down with Claudette getting eliminated. I thought it was completely appropriate and I think her trying to backpedal on what she felt like she could say or all this different stuff, especially the third time she's done that this season, um, that was enough of a reason to go home. Yeah, and I I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, How did you feel about uh, the Bronco brouhaha and the tailgating um, challenge since we're, like, getting, as Colicchio really emphasized, it's just like... We're down to the we're 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 in like the end of the we're at the end basically and it's like um everyone needs to step up and nobody stepped up this week it seemed like so how did you feel about this Yeah it's really interesting because these chefs according to the judges have made absolutely some of the best food they've had on top chef and they've also consistently let down themselves and just the challenge overall at various points in the season. Like this feels like the group of chefs that we saw right before they brought Claudette and Leanne back. And then everybody like woke up to the fact that there was competition and that they had to up their game basically because otherwise Leanne would crush them. And now it seems like they've tapered back down. Um, I don't know if that's accurate, but I mean, if you're giving me nachos, they better be freaking delicious because they are horrible for you. So if I'm going to eat nachos, I want to at least, like, if I'm eating all of that terrible for you-ness, it's got to be delicious. And same thing with fried mac and cheese. Fried mac and cheese is, has no, it's like, why did you fry it then? It's like, if, if it's not crunch, crispy and it doesn't, if it doesn't have that crunch, then you just made mac and cheese. You have not made fried mac and cheese and don't call it that. Yeah, and I think that's, I think your point about, like, the degree of competition, I think, is really on point in terms of, like, there, there was a lot of emphasis on Carrie being, like, really sort of like a dark horse within this uh, particular episode as well, um, because she won with a fancy toast, um, though the fancy toast sort of demonstrates the larger point that Colicchio makes at the end of the episode of, like, well, if you guys put together nachos, they need to be delicious nachos, to the point of, like, you put together a really good piece of toast. This is delicious toast. And so I think that they don't really have like a, um, like a pole car or a, um, stocking, um, stocking horse or whatever that term is, um, for this, because like you said, they had it with Claudette. They had it when, um, Leanne came back as like everyone got a fire under their ass and be like, well, shit, we don't want to lose because at some point Leanne's going to cook dumplings and she's going to send someone home. <laughs> and yeah. we don't want that. Um, but now like everyone left and the competition is sort of very simpatico with one another. And they, I think they feel like they can all sort of take one another, but they don't really feel compelled to, I think is the larger problem is that like, they all kind of get along and they all kind of seem like, even though they sort of have different levels of experiences and Bruce seems to know everyone, um, (laughs) that they can just sort of roll with whatever happens. And I I think that's becoming a problem for all of them is that they're just getting really complacent with one another. And at this point, they're just sort of like, oh, we can just kind of roll with it. And then brother's going to show up and just like demolish them, apparently, is what I think is going to happen. 
<laughs> uh, I hope it's Joe. I'm not like I'm. I don't have time for brother for a number of reasons, but one of them being that I think he's sneaky and dishonest with that whole Saran wrap thing. Like, yeah, no, I'm not discounting so, that, but yeah, but yeah, but 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 no, it could, it, yeah, it. They they are too. Compla- complacent is a good word for it, but the idea that the, no one is like super insecure. Like, remember watching Great British Baking Show, and Jane was super insecure about Candace to the point where it was almost like laughable. Yes, how like she's like, no, she's great, she's great. Oh, <laughs> you kind of think like there's always a little extra pitch to her voice, the voice gets a little bit higher. Talking about you know, you could tell she was an insecure mess. And I don't want the chefs. That's one of the reasons I enjoy this show is that it's a show that's less likely to have the people like combat, combative with each other and yelling at each other and so insecure that they're like lashing out. But it also feels like they're pretty, pretty evenly matched and people aren't worried about so in, like it feels like it could go any way any given week. Yeah. And because Carrie is so like, min- like Minnesota nice or, or Midwest nice, I should say. Um, and, and she doesn't come off. She's not, she doesn't, no one's like intimidated by her. I think somebody who had as many wins as she was and who was a little bit, um, had like a different demeanor would be prompting like Bruce and some of these other chefs to like up their game because they definitely can. But because she is so warm, they aren't doing that. Yeah. And so they aren't bringing out the best in each other. And, uh, and, you know, Bruce can do a lot of great stuff, but he also just, you know, like, I appreciated Padma's pasta again, really, and polenta again. Like, come on, guys. This, you can't just keep making the same things. Yes, it's good pasta, but we already know you can make good pasta. You are not pushing yourself at all. And somebody, it didn't even say, say that, like, right now I'm just trying to not go home. It's everybody is trying to not go home instead of trying to win. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good characterization. So... Uh, are are you looking forward to this top? Was it the, down to the top six now, right? Um, do uh no, we're in the top five. Apart from whomever, um, oh yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, goes into last chance. Uh, comes out of last chance kitchen right now. Um, which I think they only have two more last chance kitchens. So, um, do you th- do you think they're gonna pull two people out of last chance kitchen, and that's why they did a double elimination this week? No, I think they did a double elimination this week because they bought two people back from last chance kitchen earlier. Um, oh, okay. So I think that's what that is. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um. Any of that food you wanted to eat at the at the Super Bowl thing, the tailgating? I really wanted those nachos, even if they were just like messy and like glop, because um, uh-huh. I love nachos and I loved like the conception of those nachos. Sounded really delicious anyway. But the rest of it, no. Uh-huh. Um, like I don't eat red meat at all, so the steak dishes, I was just like meh. And I don't really mm-hmm. like ribs either, so it's just sort of like a. I would basically only eat the nachos. <laughs> yeah no me too i'm i'm a nachos gal i'm not big on ribs um but yeah it's like you got to be able to do i mean tailgating food is horrible for you but it should be so delicious that you just like don't even care you don't do it all the yeah. time but when you do you go <laughs> all for it you just shove your face in the nacho cheese that nacho cheese did like the the cheese sauce whatever did look really good i gotta it say it did that that but, is very true it did look really good oh i'm gonna have to go get nachos after <sighs> record 
Clearly. Clearly that's going to happen. Let's move on, though, to our next show in reality. We have the Drag Race All-Stars Divas Lip Sync Live. I got to say, I was very disappointed in the All-Stars this week. Most of them, I thought, were mediocre at best. Yeah, this was a really low-energy episode, and I couldn't really, like get into like the show uh that a, a the show itself but b the show that was being put on was just sort of aggressively dull and yeah. just felt really low energy and i think a lot of this is one of the problems that the show sort of suffers from a little bit is that without an audience there to feed off of and it's just like five people it's there's not a lot of energy for anyone else to really for the performers to feed off of but also for us as an at home audience it sort of falls into that same trap of live musical programming without an audience and you're just like who's enjoying this no one and i feel like that that was really happening in this episode is that there was no energy behind any of the performances because there wasn't anything to feed off of so it felt very much like a solid ish rehearsal as opposed to like a really well put together performance that had like energy and verve to it. And so it was just, it was, I ha- I was having the same issue. It was like, I didn't care about what they were putting on. Even when someone was doing particularly well, I just kind of went, oh, well, that was good finally, but it wasn't anything like mind blowing. Yeah, I thought that maybe three of them did a good job channeling their diva. Mm -hmm. And the rest were maybe fine and mostly bad. Yeah. Like, I thought that basically Shangela and Ben Creme were really good. I thought Chi-Chi was really good. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. And And so I was very confused when Chi-Chi was on the bottom. It must have been just based on her look because all the other queens, I know they liked Diana Ross much more than I did. But, like... Are you kidding me, Celine? That didn't feel like Celine at all. Like I didn't know. Did I not... had forgotten who Milk was doing when yeah. she came out on stage. It was just like, wait, who's this supposed to be exactly? Because I forgot, and I nothing in that told me it was Celine Dion. And I when they like circled back to it, I just went, wait. That is not any. That is not my conception of Celine Dion at all. Admittedly, I don't have like a really strong conception of Celine Dion, but it was just like I don't know who that is. I knew who everyone else was, which is good, but I didn't know who Milk was doing, which is why Milk's crying about being safe was ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I was. I felt myself wanting to do the old like millennials all want a trophy just for participating <laughs> thing and i had to like pull that back you know that instinct uh but no it's like it's like milk you you didn't get a lot of praise because you didn't do a good job yeah it takes and- much much more than what you did just then to get praise yeah, and the, the, what was really compelling about this is, what should have been, I should say, really compelling about this is that they're all set up to succeed in this given who they were assigned. Right? And, I mean, it was just like when Rue was naming the, who they were going to play, I just went, wait a minute, you're naming people to play to their strengths. It was just like, Aja's getting Amy Winehouse? Wait, hang uh-huh. on a second here, everyone. <laughs> let's, let's dial this back. They're, they're being set up to win right now and Uh like really showcase themselves which is the other reason why like the actual challenge itself really falls flat is it's just like you guys were given like things tailor made for you and you just didn't do anything with it and so it's just really bizarre because yeah it was just super bizarre 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I, how did you feel about win- winners, losers? Any thoughts on Thorgy? No, I mean, a lot, so much of the drama motivated in this episode around Thorgy, um, Thorgy trying to, like, be more present, I really appreciated, but at the same time, it was just, like, I feel like Thorgy was also straddled with, like, the least one in a lot of ways, um, uh, having Stevie Nicks, um, and so, like, I, I get why Thorgy was so frustrated, but at the same time, it was just, like, find a way. And so yeah. that was sort of where I ended up. It was just like, find a way. And like, I, I liked Thorgy's runway look a lot more than every, the redemption runway look. I think a lot more than everyone else did. But at the same time, it was, I, I acknowledge like the, their flaws that they pointed out and everything. So I think it was just a bad week for Thorgy. And who knows like how this Handmaid's Tale thing is going to play out and they could come back. Yeah, but I mean, if if Shangela had gotten Stevie Nicks, she would have found a way. If Benedict Graham had gotten Stevie Nicks, it would have been quite a stretch because it's less of a comedy thing, but but she would have found a way. You know, these other queens would have figured it out. I think Thorgy was just sabotaging herself and getting into her own head about it. Just like she was obsessing in her season about bob getting all the opportunities and bob won't shut up and won't give anybody else any space and all that stuff and here she's obsessing about how she's being she's not being given the opportunities of other people but at a certain point you're you're just not delivering so stop focusing on all the things you aren't getting and focus on what you can bring so i think it's just this idea like you know like like we were talking about with top chef who succeeds in which format and this is not necessarily a great format for Thorgy, so we'll see. I I think that Shangela crushed it, though. I was very glad that she won. Her Mariah was spot on and hilarious. And are you kidding me? You see those heels walking in that bubble? Damn. So well good. Done. Yes, it was very so good. good. Not following that bubble is insane with those heels. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Okay, uh, how about let's move on to Jane the Virgin. We had our mid-season premiere, Chapter 72, two things. First of all, it was so good. I'm so glad we had a break because I'm very glad that Jane is back in my life and I was, like, ready for a break. And now, like, what a great premiere to come back on. And Rosario! I didn't realize she was coming now. I thought it was, like, next season. I'm so glad she's on the show. It's- oh, you thought next season. Yeah. I knew it was this season. I didn't know it was, like, this episode. I saw her name come up on, like, guest starring Rosario Dawson. I was like, squee! <laughs> I was so excited. And then she delivered. Oh, man, it's going to be so fun. Yeah, no, it's going to be delicious. Like, I'm very excited about it. It was just like, oh, she's she's just going to be the no-nonsense lawyer that gets Petra off and out of this situation. And then it's like, oh, no, there's a twist. And it's just like, yay, there's a twist. Because <laughs> it's just the fact that we get to see Rosario Dawson sort of play this very ambiguous sort of character, I think, is really, really exciting. And I'm very much here for it. And I'm very much here for the kind of energy that she has with um, Yael and the, how that's going to play off. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see how other people end up interacting with her because at the very least, Raphael is going to interact with um, the other Jane. Like, how are we doing this? Are, how, how are we differentiating between our Janes? Are we saying Rosario Jane? I mean, she's <laughs> just Rosario. Okay. As far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel about the rest of the episode? Uh, I thought the rest of the episode was fine. Um, 
I, I I did get caught up in the Rosario at all of it all, but um, I liked the hijinks of the uh, of the house. I I was glad that we didn't get that stretched out, so I was I was looking forward to that. Um, I think what I'm more so looking forward to is sort of like an, in an episode in the future of Raphael dealing with the fact that he lives in a one bedroom or like a studio apartment and just what does this mean for him? And I'm very excited to see him trying to figure out how that works. Um, because that's just going to be fun. Um, is he even going to be able to fit his boxes into a studio? (laughs) No, he can't. <laughs> he cannot. Um, so that'll be fun. I imagine that they're probably going to allow him to like leave boxes at the house, but it's yeah. still going to be like a hoot to watch that. Um, so yeah, what did you think about like the rest of the episode? I thought it was such a strong way to come back. I loved the disconnect between Raph and Jane. Um, I thought that they played really well. I this this discussion i mean i don't think this is necessarily what they're going for but what a way to talk about like in the me too era here while the me too movement is happening these difference in perceptions about romantic relationships and like reading signals and and all of that what a great way to 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 talk about that and to reinforce your perception your reality is not necessarily this other person's and you know the importance of communication and not just like assuming well clearly jane is so happy to be getting back together with me like this was an amazing kiss it was pretty great and so like i thought that that you know having that tension throughout the episode and then resolving it by the end of the episode um worked worked really well it's like it's like oh come on ref you need to you know you gotta try a little more than this you gotta like get your don juan back on you know like the you don't just like just be like clearly you want to be with me so like i'm pretty have you seen me i'm very hot so let's just make this happen i like that that um that you know jane's coming from a different place and that there's some tension there um, and she's, of course, hyper aware of everything that could go wrong. I love, love that he made a list and it shows how much he's grown over the course of the the, the series and, and how much better he knows Jane and uh, how much more thoughtful he is than at the beginning of the show. And I also really liked, again, this continued exploration of of Raph's relationship with Alba and yeah. like that dynamic. Um, and then I really liked all the stuff with Alba and Zoe, too. But first, let's stick with the Jane and Raph stuff. Any thoughts? No, and I think you hit it really nicely with uh, this idea of perception, uh, how timely that was. Um, so I don't really have anything more to add to that. I just I really appreciated how it was depicted and how generally sort of mature that it was handled as well and i I really appreciated that aspect of it um but what i've what i really keyed in on in this episode is the the continuing sort of relationship that raf has established with alba is sort of like weirdly my stealthiest favorite thing about the show right now um Uh is how like a the chemistry between both of these actors i think is really compelling um, but also sort of the way that the show is writing both of these characters as a pair and as a dynamic, I think is really, really interesting. And I really like how they play off one another in terms of this idea of like a true romance and how they sort of both buy into this, but also how they're having to question what that means right now. And the having both of these characters be the ones that are doing the paralleling between one another, I think is a really 
fascinating and really interesting choice because I feel like it'd be really easy to do like Raph and Zoe really from like any number of levels, but to have like this massive sort of age difference and experience um, difference and just general, like even like massive class difference, I think really adds to sort of the universality of what makes Jane really special in a lot of ways. So I really like how that they've been developing that and it really shown and it really showed um, how much work they put into that in chapter 72 for me. Yeah. Well, and Ref needs a parent figure. He, he does. Parent. It's true. You know? It's very true. He does. But I mean, at the same time, Petra seems to do okay, and she has terrible parent figure. That's true. Well, yeah, and again, and, and Raph is a really good dad. Yeah. He just, you know, like, there are t- it's great to, to see that relationship, because, like, has he ever had a maternal figure he can rely on? Like, they talked about being raised by nannies, I think, right? Yeah. More or less, yeah. But it's especially with um his relationship with his sister like super on the rocks i one must assume based on everything that went down with anushka before you know she got killed um it's good to see him have other ties and not not just jane but you know with with alba as well and i think zo I, I, yes, it'd be easy for them to have a dynamic there's a lot of stuff that they could touch base on but zo is never going to be team raf right the way that alba will be yeah. you know she's always going to have a little distance and a little space and she's always going to be thinking how does this affect jane like jane will always be right there at the front of her mind when she's interacting with raf and so i think having that little extra space especially in, in an episode where they talk so much about mateo and and alba's and and zoe's experiences around mateo and uh, i i i really liked that aspect of their dynamic as well um how great to get a little bit of alba uh, sorry of zoe's perspective on her father like we didn't even i didn't realize that that the dad was alive long enough for her to remember him yeah i wasn't either so i really appreciated how that was coming through yeah uh, any other thoughts on this one uh, on on what about or, or on Rose therapy? No, um, I I am like vaguely curious about like the uh, I'm waiting for like another CW show to do therapy so that we can just have like a trio of therapy scenes now um, uh-huh. because Flash is really relying on like therapy um, for a lot of their humor this uh, season. So I'm waiting for a third waiting for a third CW show to really trot that out. Maybe maybe Freud will become like the in-house doctor in Legends of Tomorrow at, when it comes back. Yeah, no, that would work. <laughs> but we've got Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, we've got Jane, yeah. we've got Flash. So yeah, let's, let's let's have all of them. I mean, let's be honest, most of the characters on most of the CW shows would definitely benefit from some therapy. It's true. It's very true. Yeah. Okay, let's move over to the Detour and their episode this week, the Stop. How terrific to see the detour include nine binary characters. I this is not something I expected from them. However, I think um the writing for Sarah was much better than the writing for Big Papa. Um and was that the name of the character? What's what or Big Daddy or anyways, um It was Big Pap Big Papa, yeah, or something yeah, along those lines. Yeah. yeah. What did you think of this episode, and were you surprised to see them taking on, like, including non-binary characters in, in the, the town of wherever they are in Alaska? <laughs> yeah, I was a, I was really surprised by that, but, I mean, the episode, I think, really works well. I think that the um, the sort of 
pronoun confusion i think is played really really amusingly um at nate's expense which i really appreciate um but i also really i i will almost always enjoy a who's on first callback situation like it's pretty much guaranteed to tickle me so how that played out but also that it plays out at nate's expense i think is really really good um so i really liked that but i also sort of like we've seen this sort of um like uh domesticated gender swap sort of thing play out in multitude of sitcoms but i really like how it plays out here um i think just because of how sort of ridiculous and heightened the show um can be and how really sort of frustrated um nate is by everything that's happening in this episode um makes everything feel a a little more heightened but b also everything comes at his expense because everyone else is sort of acclimating really, really well. And he's the one struggling and he's the one that is like not understanding anything. So I really like how by the end of the episode, he's accepted everything. And also like they're joking about him being so woke and it's just, it's very good because it's not coming from like a place of malice or anything or like a resistance to, it's just, he doesn't understand. I, I, there's a lot of really good humor happening in this episode. So I really, I really enjoyed how it was being played out. Um, I don't really have any other thoughts on the episode other than I did not ex- necessarily expect Laura Benanti to get to Alaska that quickly. Yeah, um, no, no kidding. And then not do anything, which was a little yeah. weird. Um, but you know, I mean, Nate's going to get to watch his hockey reruns. They're classic games. <laughs> this is why they don't win this one. Yeah, no, that's, that, that was a nice little sting at the end there. Uh, let's move on to fresh off the boat. Amanda shared the night with, and we need to talk about Evan, um, two episodes this week. I liked them both. Uh, I particularly though, I think enjoyed the, the stuff with Evan and his panic attacks. Did you have a preference between these two? Yeah. Both of these episodes I think are really strong. Um, and I think that they both benefit from the fact that they highlight relationships between one parent and one kid or, and really, well, in the case of a man to share the night with, they highlight Jessica's relationship with Evan and Emery in a way that doesn't, doesn't work with um, Eddie as, which is why Eddie and Lewis get paired together in that episode. So I really liked how both of these episodes deal with, expectations um and um maturing sort of relationships between the the within this family so the whole collapse of like michelle kwan at the olympics um against tara lipinski i think is really funny and i love the conspiracy angle that they come up with to like explain all of it it's just it's very 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 good and um Honey showing up with the Lipinski haircut is ridiculous, but I am here for it because there's there's absolutely no reason for that to be there. There's none, but it's sort of like a cherry on top of that sun that that plot's particular Sunday that I really really like. And then all the Evan stuff with the pressure of not acknowledging how much pressure it is to have skipped a grade and to be in this sort of a situation where he is indeed like more driven and in a different place in his life than his peers, I think is also really, really a good way to follow up on something that I was really waiting for them to follow up on when he didn't, when they reset and went back to the house away from the private school. So I, I really liked all of these episodes and I liked how the therapist in particular sort of pushed very 
politely but firmly back against a lot of Jessica's impulses here. And so it was just, it was a really strong pair of episodes. And I was really glad that they aired together. Um, even if they're not intended as like a duo, they still complemented one another really, really nicely. Yeah. Even just the detail of his last name being Tim. So he's Mr. Tim because that's his last name. <laughs> I like, um, yeah. And having that, that back to back thread of, uh, working really hard means that you succeed with Michelle Kwan. And then right into the storyline with Evan was particularly effective back to back. I thought the stuff with the five alarm chili was like less interesting, but you know, fair enough. Yeah. You need something to fill the time. But yeah, no, otherwise everything with the kids was good. And I, I liked the turn we saw with Eddie and his and his buddy and uh like the the rage like i was like oh man they're taking him darker and, and the actor did the, the friend i don't remember the character name or the actor name but he did a good job uh, like that anger you know like turning that that just like scary <laughs> worked really really well and then to see that just coaxed right back into a more healthy place by some parental involvement you know um, cause I'm sure his mom is doing her best, you know, but she's got to work nights. She can't, you know, single, single parent, she's got to work. She can't be there. Uh, so, so bringing him more closely in, I th- thought was nice. And hopefully that's a thread that they continue. I don't know if they will, but like, like even just like with the, the rocking out to Guar and they still have that insane hundred disc changer or whatever in the room. I'm hoping similarly, this is a thread that we'll see continue. Yeah. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Next up is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Oh, Nathaniel, it's on. I want to start with the ending. Okay. I'm not very excited about her, about about Rebecca and Nathaniel falling back into some form of a relationship at the end. Uh, I'm a little curious as to why all of this episode happened other than just to reset their relationship to a point and to change up the work dynamic so that they have a reason to be working in the same office. It felt a little contrived. Um, I enjoyed the episode while it was happening. I enjoyed the, rep- I always like reprises. Listeners will know this. So I enjoyed the reprise of who's the new guy, but I was a little curious. Like it feels like the show's treading water a little bit. And I liked everything in the therapy group. I'm really enjoying all of that aspect of the show, but was it just me? Like, why Why is this stuff happening? Right. No, I had, the, I had the same thought. And it's weird for them to be treading water when they only have another three episodes to go. And so it was, I was sort of wondering what we're building to. And I, I, I feel like I've, I consistently sort of have that issue with this show is sort of, I wonder, like, especially when they get into this little stretch of like, Okay, what are we doing exactly? Um, and I mean, the show has demonstrated that it can sort of deftly manage and thread this thread this particular needle at the end. But yeah, it it feels very sort of thread um thread um treading water. I I I agree. And yeah, so the the entirety of the episode I think works as you're watching it, but then you get to the end and you're just like what what's what what is that end game that you're having by doing this and what have you accomplished by doing this exactly yeah in previous seasons when we got to this last stretch of episodes you could tell there was a narrative thrust and maybe there is one that we just haven't Picked like, up figured on. out yet yeah yeah maybe it's it's there and then in the next episode it'll become more clear we'll go like, oh, I see what but um 
Yeah, and, and the the exploration of repeating patterns and of, you know, Rebecca's relationship with relationships, this is all stuff that they will need to keep, you know, examining. And and these are important aspects of, of therapy and of trying to her trying to make healthier choices. And if we only ever saw her doing things that were healthy and productive, that would not be honest and it would not be interesting. Yeah. But it seems like it's a little soon to already be repeating this so we'll see what what comes next do you have any thoughts on the uh rebecca and daryl's baby with heather i'm so here for it Uh (laughs) um in part because i feel like we haven't gotten a lot of daryl and heather together so that i feel like is really going to balance like both of those characters really really well but i also just need all the scenes with both of them just interacting and i'm i'm sure hector's gonna be thrilled yeah uh this stuff with uh hector and his mom and the podcast is awesome um the stuff with josh just being terrible was also uh very funny as people who record podcasts of course that's wheelhouse for us but um yeah having having heather really get some exploration and get some screen time was is long overdue and this is the kind of stuff i want to see i don't like the moment the power the moment is me or whatever her song was that i really did not care for this is a much more interesting use of of heather so if you know she had a song with this you know like with this this much episode this much focus then i would have been more on board with something like the moment is me or that that song that, that they gave her. Uh, I, I'm hoping that we get, I would love to have this level of focus on, on Heather and on V like way more often on Valencia. Like this is the level of focus. I thought we were going to be getting on Josh, but we haven't had anything for him in. Yeah. Weeks. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take more emphasis on Heather and I would like more emphasis on Valencia um, than necessarily Josh. I like this idea of sort of Josh falling a little bit by the wayside in a way. Um, Cause I think narratively it makes sense. Um, yeah, it does. But then why is he still on the show? You know, yeah. is where I'm like, you like, rate him out for, for half a season and bring him back when, if you're going to, if you're not going to use him, I don't, yeah, it's, a, it's the idea of shows who have too many actors and they love all the actors, but they don't have a need for the characters and they keep yeah. finding ways to shoehorn them in. Um, yeah, I guess it felt like he was making forward steps and now we see him falling right back into that same dynamic with Hector's mom. Yeah. That, again, it feels repetitive. And if the point is the repetition, then, okay, I get it. But there's a lot more interesting stuff that they could be doing with him. And if they're not going to do it with him, then they could spend that time with other characters. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on to our last episode for Weekend TV. We're, listeners, you can tell we're keeping things streamlined here <laughs> in this episode. Um, so we had the finale of The Good Place somewhere else. We were saying last week and the last few episodes, uh, how does this show go beyond three seasons? Um, and the answer is, well, apparently they put them back on earth that's an, an option that i know i didn't anticipate um i don't know if you did Noel, but i have a couple questions for you first of all if they are on earth how did you think that that worked and did you like the focus of the eleanor uh, of the episode being so eleanor heavy and two do you think they actually are on earth because sting's desert rose has a decidedly you know can you know fake good place vibe to it as opposed to an earth 
name of a bar. Uh, what what did you think about about those two elements of this finale? All right. Um. So I really I I kept wondering how everyone else was doing. So as much as I understand, like sort of emphasizing Eleanor in uh, kind of a proto pilot almost of like this is what season three is going to be at least for like maybe four episodes so we can see each of them um before they upend it again in some fashion as the good places has demonstrated that it is want to do um i really wanted to know how everyone else was doing um so while i enjoyed watching eleanor really improve herself but then watching her backslide um and that kind of struggle of like it's really easy to be good when things are going well, but as soon as something goes wrong, it's very easy to slide back into your old habits um, and more destructive habits or just lazy habits. Um, I really liked how the show demonstrated all of that. Um, as, but I also just wanted to see what Jason and Chidi were doing um, so much, especially Jason after a certain point. I was just like, how is Jason's life improving after Michael prevents him from not getting into a safe and suffocating to death? Because I feel like that's really the big question um, for the show to address <laughs> is how Jason improves himself without Janet being there and without the rest of the folk, without that trio being there. Um, so I was really eager for that. And then, so I'm just like, oh, I need that to be like episode two of season three, basically. Um, as for whether or not they're back on earth, I feel like that they absolutely sort of have to be back on earth and they've sort of just, because the judge is so like not thrilled with it, but the whole sort of like ticker tape aspect of it, I feel like as amusing as that was, I feel like that there's some sort of like shift that's waiting to happen but i also feel like that they couldn't slap together a whole universe um together that quickly but also who knows how long they were out um so but also maybe they're just being forced to live in a purgatory sort of situation where they can improve themselves and that was sort of the limbo situation that i was sort Mm -hmm. of expecting that isn't a medium place but a purgatory sort of-esque thing where they can just forced to live out their lives over and over again until they get it right. Um, so we'll see. I'm interested to see the conceit of the, the meta narrative conceit of where this is, but I'm excited that they just sort of went, no, this is how we're going to do this is that this is going to be very much a more almost like traditional sort of sitcom of people hanging out and like improving themselves in a sort of non-heightened fashion. So I'm really excited about how this is going to play out. Um, So I'd like for you to answer both of those questions, but I would also like you to answer a third question that I post on Twitter. And do you (laughs) think that the bar scene is intended as a cheers reference or as a quantum leap finale reference? And there is a, there's not a correct answer. Um, well, I think it can be both. Yeah, no, it's. <laughs> I, I really feel like it's both. And I feel like the Quantum Leap reference is maybe unintentional and me just reading into yeah. it. But I've, it made me very happy all the same. <laughs> no, the the Cheers thing is definitely very, very intentional. Yeah. Um, and just, just seeing Ted Danson sling a, shul- a, a, a cloth over his shoulder oh, like God, that. It's so it just, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it also showed how essential it is, I think, to have Danson as part of the ensemble interacting with the rest of these characters. Uh, that scene with him and Kristen Bell was terrific and the highlight, I think, of the episode. And 
as Eleanor centric as I was absolutely thinking about the other characters. I'm really hoping that Tahani will have internalized the lesson that she learned in that hallway when we next see her and, and like reintroducing her parents in the previous episode so that we can they can bring it back next season and we have a stronger relationship with them. I think will work really well. I'm looking forward to what she has, you know, like what she's experiencing having that breakthrough for Chidi be, you know, where he just grabs and and kisses Eleanor, which listeners consent is sexy, but I think it's safe to say that Eleanor had already given her consent previously established in their relationship. So the point being him making a decision like that, which is one of the few times I think he's we've ever seen him make a decision like that, was was really impactful. So I, I'm less th- I'm less curious what's going on with Chidi because I feel like I have a better sense of that. He's clearly much more successful when we see him down there through Eleanor's like interaction with him than he was the first time through where he hadn't finished his book. He kept like revising, revising, revising. So he hadn't actually completed anything because he kept dithering so often. He was always so insecure and unable to, to decide on any, anything like what he believed and what, what he perceived in the world. So clearly he's doing better already. And, um, I feel confident that Tahani might take a little bit, but she will be doing better. I have no idea what's going to happen with Jason. So I was also really curious. I know. It's so good. I, I, I feel like had in like our like reality, had the Jaguars gone to the Super Bowl, it would have been a major plot point for Jason. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, absolutely. But now it now maybe like them almost getting to the potential for the Super Bowl is enough to drive him to change. I don't know, but I really want the Jaguars <laughs> to be a pivotal point in Jason's development. What this episode and the the pivot back to Earth reinforces is the show's narrative about which is a very similar thread to stuff we saw in Parks and Rec and in other Michael Shore shows um this idea of ethics and morality being so and who you you are your identity and who you are being so defined by who you choose to surround yourself with Uh and uh so, so that's something that they will definitely be exploring further next season but to have that be so central to Eleanor's story like in this second half of the episode, I thought was really effective and really worked for a finale as well as, like you said, a proto pilot for next season, or at least the first chunk of next season. I'm looking forward to what they can do in these next episodes. They, however, they're going to have to bring these characters together somehow. Yeah. I think pretty quickly or else it won't be interesting. And yeah. they, can, they can only keep Michael and or Janet, either of them, both of them. Off in that room watching ticker tape for so long. Um, so I look forward to seeing how they manipulate that. I, I would expect to see Janet pop up similarly in 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 uh, um, Jason's arc. The way that we saw Michael in Eleanor's. But they're going to have to... Like, getting the people on Earth back together pretty easily. You know, like, it'll take some... Because they're very different parts of the world. But it, it'll take some doing. But we can see how it's going to happen. Getting Michael and Janet back into the mix, I think, will be more of a stretch. Yeah, and I'll be curious to see how they do that because one of the one of my the gags that they make um, with them watching the ticker tape is that 
they're both only paying attention to one of the tickers. Like, no one's paying attention to Cheaties, and it's got that massive ball of, like, ticker tape that Michael just shoves onto the ground. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, no one's paying attention to what Cheaty and um, Tani are doing, basically. And, like, Janet's, like, super focused on Jason, and Michael's super focused on Eleanor. And so I'll be, like, your your idea of how they get worked in um, to everyone else's um, respective arcs and how they kind of come together, I think, will be the larger challenge of the show. But I also am really looking forward to maybe them just spending a couple of episodes in Australia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to be really weird. I know people were talking about Lost around that. I was, of course, thinking of The Leftovers with a trip to Australia. Um, yeah. It was it was a really strong finale. It was a lot of fun, and it wasn't as surprising. Yeah, and it wasn't as like memorable for me in the same way as the other finale, previous finale. But it has been a really strong season, and I continue to really enjoy the show and what they've settled into with this phase of the show. I think is very interesting, and we'll see. Like even just tonally, you know, it's a very different feel to the show than it than it was earlier and that the willingness to to blend tones to mature and to grow like as well as the characters are maturing and growing which is something far few, too few comedies do the the show is is adapting to match that and i think that's terrific so i look forward to seeing what comes next yeah and i think that's the key is that the show is adapting to its narrative um and what it's wanting to tell as opposed to needing to do like i mean season one is all about really like heavily about keeping secrets and then revealing a twist um and while season two has like elements of that secret keeping um it's never the it never feels like the driving force of season two as opposed to this idea of betterment and improvement and getting to where we think we belong um so i liked that aspect so getting to the point where they're just like well let's really let's really let's put our money where our mouth is basically and like see if they've learned and internalized anything and i think that's that's a really smart move that they've made so i'm excited for season three did you notice uh, eleanor's wardrobe and hair changing to to mimic her look at the beginning of the good place as she was volunteering more i did yes <laughs> yeah she was wearing that like blousey shirt when she went to quit her her dirt bag her first dirt bag job <laughs> and then into the t-shirt and then yeah and then back you know into her different I, I really continue to enjoy the work that they're doing over there with with all those uh, with with yes the costume and makeup and hair, but also just even the set design of her crummy new apartment and everything. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it, they've done a great job this season all the way through the ensemble and writing and producing and directing and editing and all that great stuff. So we love you, the good place. Um, well, Noel, what wins your week? in tv this week because you of course have all the superhero shows and x-files you watched a lot more tv than i did yeah and i mean i have a lot more options but um um i'll give it to a good place this week uh for their finale especially since i won't be able to give it to them any anytime soon until like next fall so um yeah. the good place gets it for me this week what about you I would love to give it to The Good Place, but my heart says Jane. I really like the Jane the Virgin premiere. That's the most I've cared about anything with Petra, anything with Rogelio and his work uh, in a long time. I was, I like, it feels refreshed and re-energized. And so The Good Place was terrific. It was really, really good. But for me, Jane is the one that stuck with me. So I'm, I'm going to give it to Jane the Virgin. It's just my little shipper heart going pitter-pat, I suppose. 
for uh I'm, I'm way more invested in in jane like team Raphael <laughs> or just team jane really than than i am eleanor and chidi because i think we all know it's eleanor and tahani is the real shipping that we're all on board with over there so that and janet and jason but they're good we always knew they'd be good so Anyways, uh, let's take a break, listen to a trailer, um, and come back with our spotlight on Mosaic. Olivia was hit on the jaw on the left side of her face by somebody who's right-handed. Your right hand was bruised, red, and swollen. So what happens now? A gruesome scene today as the frozen body of Olivia Lake, along with a t-shirt found buried with the body, was discovered. What was it about Olivia that drew these men to her, these rubes? You seem strong. Are you handy? Where were you on the New Year's Eve that Olivia was killed? What I don't understand is why you changed your story twice. The choices you make, the sides you pick, they have consequences. So what's next? My brother is innocent. Oh, Lord. Whatever it is that you think you know, you're wrong. Why was everyone so fast to convict Eric Neal? You were in love with Olivia, weren't you? You need to leave now. Just pull over. Okay, I'm out. Just pull over, Joel. I was wrong to think that you might not deserve this. Don't you talk to me that way. Why did she say to you this guy you acting like this? Mosaic, a new storytelling experience. Download the free app now. That was one of the trailers for HBO's Mosaic, which uh, aired last week. They had an episode each day. This is a murder mystery that functioned as a show on HBO, but also as an app, an interactive like experience where you couldn't change the narrative through how you interacted with the app, but you could uh, investigate documents and get different perspectives on different scenes. Um, so it was a more interactive mode of storytelling that then a lot of us myself included, just watch the TV show for. So I only watched the TV show. Noel, did you watch the show? Did you do the app? What did you do? Um, I only did the TV show. I did like a little bit of like poking around with the app um, and just reading about it, but I didn't um, like do a whole lot of in-depth stuff as I sort of intended to this week. Um, so I didn't have an opportunity to really do as much with the app as I wanted to. Um, so that's on me and I feel bad about that. I think that, you know, first of all, we're short on time this week that I think this is also just how most people will have interacted with the show. So I think that's totally fair. And uh, for those who did get more involved in the app, let us know what your experience was for me. Like I wasn't compelled to do more with the app after I watched the show. <laughs> so, like, if I had felt a stronger connection to the mystery and to the characters of the show, I might have been more, you know, drawn to check out the app. And if I had watched it real time, that might have affected that as well. But I watched all, like, these this week, so I could go from one to the next to the next to the next. I didn't have to wait for the next day. Um, so, so that might be part of it as well. Maybe if, you know, because Steven Soderbergh is interested in doing other future stories, uh, storytelling projects in this method. So in the future, maybe I'll watch as it goes and I'll be more, you know, interested in, in that perspective on it. But for me, this was a really interesting murder mystery for about four episodes. And then it really fizzled out by the end for me. Uh, I, I was 
rather disappointed in the last episode. And uh, I'm curious what, what you thought about this, just as a purely just a TV show. What did you think of Mosaic? Uh, I thought it was fine. Um, I, I agree with you that it fizzles out, and I would actually argue that it sort of fizzles out a little sooner than that. Um, like, to me, I sort of, like, lost interest a little bit in, like, a little bit into episode four after, um, excuse me, after um, Joel comes back to um, Summit. Um, this, I sort of, like, just sort of, like, lost interest because... Um, I felt like the show sort of like telegraph telegraphs its hand a little bit in terms of like providing Joel with an alibi, but then overplaying a lot of like his mental state and concerns that it feels very much like a misdirect in a lot of ways. Um, that the actual conclusion, which I think feels, um, which gets resolved with a big whole a parlor scene with uh, Joel's sister, um. Petra um Petra Petra yeah uh not Joel's sister but Eric's sister but is named Petra yes I just reversed whose sister she was um feels a lot more organic than and what reasonably probably would have happened than what would have happened with Joel um so yeah it it loses a it loses a lot of energy once Sharon Stone leaves, I think, which is something I never really thought I would say as someone who has never been particularly compelled by Sharon Stone. But it loses a lot of energy once Olivia Lake um, dies um, because she's like deep in there and she's giving a really strong performance and a really compelling performance. But as soon as like it fades away and it becomes this sort of desire to like not even tell this story from different perspectives, but just very traditionally sort of jump back and forth um, between a folk-centric character as opposed to, like, a perspective on events, which they don't even come back to, basically, until the last two episodes. That it just... It feels really linear in a way that feels very surprising for um, something that was positioned as a very nonlinear, more interactive, more choose your own adventure, choose your own emphasis sort of interaction that not carrying that through in some fashion here just seemed like a little bit of a missed opportunity to me. Yeah. When at a certain point it becomes clear, we're moving back towards the scene that began the show. And when we first see like the opening scene, at least my interpretation is okay. So corrupt cop giving the like the baddie time to escape but then it becomes clear that that's not the case you're like okay well then it has to be a mislead because that's the only way that that's interesting so then oh it's got to be the rich guys which explains why they're in the store like if you've watched any or read any number of murder mysteries when you get to a certain point you can like see if the pacing is on track you know and so then that yeah and that becomes, at least for me, you know, by the time you get to, into episode four, that becomes clear. Also, the way that they are using Joel becomes clear that he, if he is guilty, he's not aware of it. He's It's very much a wrong man kind of vibe in, in the performance and yeah. the way the show is treating him. So then you keep waiting for more things to be revealed and more things to be, like, uncovered and focused on. And that doesn't happen. And maybe it's more honest that the rich guys get away with stuff you know or maybe it's 
it's maybe like wanting that satisfying conclusion Columbo scene where the bad guy gets carted off is uh, pedestrian and and too tidy. But I think that they lost a lot of energy by not going either way with it, you know? And it doesn't help that I don't feel like I ever knew who Petra was. I don't think she was a compelling character at any point. And so at the end, when we're supposed to be, like, very much in her perspective and her story, like, she goes from reaching out to Joel and wanting to reassure him and let him know that, he, you know, she thought that she that he did it, but now she knows that he did it and all this stuff, to her never trying to reach out to him again and her being fine with him being in, in jail. And I don't feel like they earned that. And I don't feel like, you know, like, if that's, then if we're going to buy that ending, then I don't buy the scene with her from earlier. And I think they needed to do a lot more work with who exactly Petra was. And if they wanted to leave her this kind of tropey, like, figure, stock character, like, avenging, guilt-ridden, trying to write the family kind of character, they needed to then change their the way that they handled the ending. I don't know. What, what did you key into as, like, like, what didn't work for you about... Like the end. When you say the end fizzled for you as well, what can you put a finger on on what that was? Well, a lot of it is like again, like what you mentioned, like the show sort of overplaying its hand a little bit and um, make. For me, it felt like again really clear that th- what they were setting up, um, so that the explanation of it seemed really sort of foregone. So a lot of like the mystery was deflated. Um, a little bit for me and that was that was really frustrating but I also think your point about Petra um, especially given like the time skip and um, the inconsistencies in the character like the whole don't move wait right here I'll be right back let me take this phone call is is really trite and contrived and one of those things where all you have to say is I know who did it and it wasn't you. Let me answer this phone call is basically all that has to be done, but it's not. It's, I have something to tell you. Please don't move. I have to answer this phone call. Saying that is the same amount of time that you can say, you didn't do it. I know that now. So stay here and let me take this phone call that will prove that. Yeah. Um, Is it's one of those really annoying sort of mystery contrivances that, you can execute, but isn't executed well here. Um, and I think that because of like Joel's escalating paranoia, especially, um, which I don't really feel like is ever developed enough or like rooted in something enough. It's really difficult to buy into a lot of it. So like, as he becomes a little more unraveled, I really struggle with some of that aspect of it as well, even though they demonstrate that he's prone to anger and that kind of a thing, but to like become as like sort of, paranoid as he is feels like a really large leap yeah well and uh again just the way that they then set him up to be this tragic figure by the end i don't feel like and and like this this perspective we get from jc who's the paul rubens character that he's a good man it's like i don't believe that you knew him to any level where you'd be able to say that and i don't think that i think the show wants me to believe you and to think when you're having this conversation about with Petra about who Joel is that you do have an accurate read of him but you haven't the show didn't earn that at all yeah and so like so then like it's just like you said overplaying their hand and not 
earning some of the developments. Um, let's though. I do think that, for example, like Paul Rubens, I thought was terrific. I loved every scene that he was in. I would watch so so such a show of Sharon Stone and Paul Rubens making bitchy comments at parties. Like I'm there for it. No, that would be a terrific show. In fact, yeah, I would I would absolutely watch that show. That that's what Mosaic season two, provided that they do one, if they do one, should be, is just basically snippets of earlier parties that Olivia and JC go to. And it's just them like hating on everyone. And I would watch that in a heartbeat. That would be fantastic. I would I, I would gobble that up. Yeah. I also feel I also enjoyed the stuff with Nate and Melissa. And uh, I think that they didn't quite, I think they, they let those characters down by the end. But I liked the stuff we got with them earlier on and uh, watching the development of Nate over the course of the episode. I th- uh, the, of course, the episodes uh, I thought was really fun. Did you have a character that you keyed into or that you really liked? I also really liked um, uh, f- uh, Frederick Weller. I thought he was really good. Frederick Weller was really good as Eric. I was really compelled Pretty much whatever he was on screen. Yeah, I, th- I think Frederick Weller sort of walks away with the show. Um, um, as he is wont to do, I feel like anytime he shows up as like in a guest spot, he tends to really shine really, really nicely. Um, and I really, I really enjoyed Eric. I really enjoyed the writing for that character. And I really enjoyed Weller's performance, especially like in that confession scene where he's just like the... The whole arrogance of him thinking that this is going to go really well speaks to his whole, like, I'm a really good con man, so I can really easily explain this and she'll buy it. Yeah. And it's just like, it's so good. And A, that's just very much like from a writing perspective, that's just a really good thing to do. But then, like, Weller just comes in and, like, really sells it. And when he realizes it's going really poorly... And backs off and, like, sort of just, like, kind of collapses into this sort of begging sort of situation is, like, also really good choice that's being made here. Which is why, like, the idea that Eric did this is just, like, really off base because it doesn't make any amount of sense. Even though we're we're seeing that he's driving away and everything, it, like, it doesn't make any sense. So he's, very, again, it feeds into, like, this mystery fizzling out sort of aspect of, like... He's never believable as a suspect in this, and Weller in those prison scenes really does a nice job of making sure that he's just very much playing up the wrong demand aspect as well. Do you feel like we were supposed to actually take him seriously as as a potential like suspect? Because I didn't feel like we we could reasonably, and so therefore I didn't feel like we were supposed to. But maybe I was just giving the show too much credit. No, we probably weren't supposed to, but I mean, I, I think he's supposed to be the least likely a suspect. Um, but yeah, it, it just never works for me because I mean, I go whole hog in on how both Weller is performed, uh, Weller performs Eric, but also how the show's writing him. Yeah, I really liked Alison Tolman as the uh, the oh, defense gosh. attorney. <laughs> or like I want scenes. an entire show about that too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. What about uh, any other aspects of this? Are you like, do you think if they had done a better job with the, the show and with the, the plotting and the mystery of the show, would that have like caused you to seek out the app and that interactive experience? Do you think a murder mystery is a good way to to do that interactive kind of read between the, the episodes kind of uh, approach? 
Yeah, I do. I think that that can be, like, a really good way of doing that. Um, in part because, like, I mean, I've played a couple of different video games that um, sort of, like, take that approach. Um, one of them does a really poor job of masking its, like, true ending sort of thing and, like, the actual solution. Because um, a lot of these games have, like, different branching paths and different endings, but there's, like, a true, quote-unquote, ending to the narrative. Um so I think that there's a really good way of doing that, but when you're doing sort of like a linear television series like this, um, you have to supply sort of, if not like an ambiguous ending, but in this case it provides a clear ending with that's muddled by a guy driven insane by the mystery, basically. Um, so I feel like this can be executed better, um, as a, not better, but it can be executed well as sort of like an interactive story. Definitely. Um, but as sort of a linear presentation of it, um, it just doesn't leave much discovery, I feel like. And, uh, considering that, like, a lot of the footage that is used in this show is basically part of the app, um, then the exploration of that mystery and you going through it as opposed to being presented, this I think would maybe work better than how it's presented here. How do you, do you feel like that, that's, that this would work better? Like maybe like, even though you know the conclusion, is there like a way of like you going back to the app and going like, is this something that you can like think of like pulling apart or just like knowing the answer? Like, prevent that from happening for you well i feel like they gave us the answer that it doesn't it doesn't matter how much time you spend on the app there you can't there's not something that you can uncover that will then you'll you'll solve it like it's not like they just get away with it you know that kind of thing like i feel like they have give a definitive answer and they and part of the point of the show is like the the morality of the ending you know um so then, then it kind of makes it feel futile to bother, you know? <laughs> Why? Yeah. There's no yeah, point yeah. in going and spending more time because it's not like this is something where in a season two, if they did one, you could have it come back and bother Nate again. And he goes and he finds that piece of evidence that you needed to click on in the second, like, room of the thingy in the app. Like, and then he sees that and you're like, yes, I knew he was going to do it. And that's going to, like, you, there's not that energy to the show like i was thinking would it be more successful would this like approach have been more successful if it was a week-to-week thing so there's more time in between or would that have hampered it because then if people really caught on to it then they would like figure the whole thing out ahead of time and then make the show redundant um you know so was maybe doing one a day the appropriate approach because it seemed to me like one a day is not enough time to make it seem like worthwhile like is worth the time to go like try to figure out what's gonna happen next and there weren't enough twists and turns to make it feel like that was something if i was really caught into the show that i would really want to do but i I can't see a way where a la like lost or something that could be a really intriguing fun alt like you think alt reality but alt tv experience um i think miniseries is a good model for that like or a series of miniseries you know because then, yeah. depending on how fans interact with the material in the app and online, how much stuff they figure out, that can then shape the next season when they go into their writing process. So I feel like there is a way to do this kind of a show really interestingly, but it requires mm-hmm. a longer commitment 
like a multi-season commitment with some downtime, even if it's just like a span of months. Um, and I think it requires someone more interested in that, which I think like at Lost they kind of were, but they didn't quite have a handle on what that meant, I think, when they were first, because they were pioneers in some of this stuff um, with fan in- engagement and interactivity. Um, and they came, kind of came back to bite them somewhat, you know, in certain ways. So I don't know if Soderbergh is interested in that, but I think that you could, like, one could do this in a way that was super addictive and could get a really strong cult following. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And I think if anyone could sort of, like, because of who he is, like, Soderbergh could make that sort of model work. Um given that he can basically just do whatever he wants at this point, um, given his his A, his one-for-you, one-for-me sort of approach, but B, also just the fact that he has, like, the clout and the money yeah. to sort of, like, put that kind of stuff up, um, that he could probably make that work as well. Um, what did you... I think, like, the last thing that I sort of want to ask you about is how familiar you are with sort of Soderbergh overall, and what did you think about sort of, like, the aesthetics of the show overall um in and how he like shot and put stuff together i mean i've seen a bunch of soderbergh's films and obviously i watched the nick uh listeners remember when we were covering that um i think i mean he's an amazing filmmaker he's really interesting i haven't seen most of his experimental films so i haven't seen like uh brown bunny uh i haven't seen uh the girlfriend experience um so but i but i've seen a number of films he's a filmmaker that I tremendously respect and the choice, most of the choices, not all, many of the choices he was making over at the Nick were very interesting. So I look forward to seeing what he does next. I was a little disappointed with this, but I don't, you know, it feels, it does feel like a first run at it. So maybe it's something that he can return to. If he does, I'm, I feel confident that he'll do it with a more interesting take or with more confidence in a take two. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way, and, like, I mean, he's sort of drifted to this sort of, um, he's had this element of, like, kind of a cold aesthetic, which, um, is very present, I think, in, um, in Mosaic, uh, but, I mean, this has been something that he's been developing for a while, I mean, there's hints of it, like, in certain points within his filmography, but it's also been something that I feel like he's really sort of doubled down on since, like, Maybe, especially with, like, the girlfriend experience that you mentioned, um, but also, um, to a lesser degree, something like Contagion or Haywire, um, this sort of, like, cool, emphasized lighting in some places, um, this, the way that he's positioning and doing a lot of shot, reverse shot dialogue stuff, um, but in a lot of those cases, it always felt like the aesthetic was adding something to the narrative, like the coolness of the girlfriend experience is very purposeful. Um, but here, I just never really gla- gr- grasped onto why he necessarily chose to shoot this in this particular style or in this particular way. Um, and so that was really kind of weird for me as a guy who is like who is very aware of like Sodenberg's sort of approach to aesthetics. Um, that kind of that way of like this is sort of my normal mode of shooting now is really weird to see him do that in this sort of thing because i never really felt like the aesthetics necessarily added much to what we were seeing um so it wasn't really until like the flourish at the end where we're getting all those quick cuts between um in the mosaic museum and then that uh superimposition between petra and um 
the um painting of olivia lake um as to what we're supposed to like take away from that but it felt like the actual like first like legitimate flourish and it's basically the last thing that we get um and that felt really weird yeah i mean it definitely the that colder sensibility like you mentioned does fit with the Sharon Stone character and what we were seeing and even just the scenery, like the setting. But um, yeah, but I don't disagree that they, it didn't feel as sort of Bergian <laughs> as <laughs> maybe it could have. So I'll, I'll have to think on that a little bit more. And yeah. listeners, uh, if you have thoughts, please do reach out. Because uh, I'm curious what other perspectives are on this. Now that we've recorded our thoughts, I can go seek out more reviews and see what other people are saying as well. But um, yeah, I I don't know that it's. I mean, I wouldn't expect this to be something I remember beyond like a couple of the performances later in the year mm-hmm. or just in future years. But as part of it is an interesting part of the picture we have of Soderbergh and his choices. I think. Even if it's yeah. not as successful as I would have hoped it would be. Yep, absolutely. I, I really agree with that. And especially as someone who keeps like going on hiatuses, but is wanting to try like different distribution models, which really only he can pull off because of who he is, or just like this general sort of like, I want to play with this now and I can do that. Um, is something that's he can do, maybe not necessarily other people can, but he at least can like push those sort of, boundaries a little bit yeah yeah well on that note a few show notes here at the end of our episode you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's tv and what you thought of mosaic from last week you can email us at televerse at gmail.com you can like our page on facebook start up a conversation there or leave us a rating review in itunes we have an m4a chaptered feed and an mp3 unchaptered feed you can also find us on stitcher we appreciate ratings review there's ratings and reviews there as well and of course we're both on twitter i'm at the televerse and noel you are at Noel RK. Thank you very much, Noel. And listeners, thank you. Next week, I'll be back to fighting form, I promise. <laughs> well, you're, you're, at least one of your arms is already at fighting form. Well, Just think about it that way. It's gotten a nice little break here, so now I need to go practice and warm up for my gig. So on that note, thank you all so much. Thank you, Noel. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. <laughs> 